Hi and welcome to the Dead Ball Area podcast. This week we're going to talk about the Autumn Internationals focusing on France, England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales in their respective test matches. Let's get straight into it with what was for me the best test match of the weekend, France versus New Zealand. Now if you follow the Dead Ball Area blog or social media you'll have seen that I did a video analysis of a few key moments in the game. Um, in truth, I think it was a really compelling game, um, really interesting. I know New Zealand were never in a position to lose the game, um, but I think Noves fielded quite a young team, and I think the progress we saw from the start of the game to the end of the game within that team was really, really interesting. Um, the team only had 317 caps, um, so it's quite interesting to see at the end of the game they had managed to get 52% of the territory um, 56% of possession they managed to run more metres than New Zealand now of course these are stats and, and they're, they're in isolation so it doesn't tell the whole story um, but they managed to like make eight, 8 clean breaks beat 21 defenders compared to New Zealand's 11 and 15 uh, clean breaks so you know, and, and 12 offloads compared to 7 so you know they, they certainly performed in areas of the game um, but as the analysis I did at the weekend uh, shows they just weren't clinical in putting those uh, those chances away and they weren't quite there in uh, in recognising and taking those chances and I think that comes down to experience. Um, so 317 caps in the whole team, quite a few of those going to Guado, Picamol, Bastero, Huger. The back line alone had only 106 caps and I think 86 of those caps are with Bastero and Huger. So you know, that's that's a significant deficit of uh, experience within the team. And so I think that shows that Noves was selecting with two criteria, one form, uh, but also with an eye on the future and the World Cup in uh, in 2019. Um, for me, the biggest issue was the pack. Uh, Slimani really struggled at scrum time. Um, I think they also looked quite underpowered in the first half going forward and really struggled kind of struggling to get through the contact, not getting on the front foot, not being able to dominate. The offloading worked, but when it came to a front-on collision, they seemed to come off maybe second best. And I think that's partially down to the level of intensity New Zealand brought in the first kind of 20-25 minutes, which they failed to replicate in the second half for certain. Um, sort of older players like uh, or more experienced players like Picamol, Gerardo, um, didn't really have the impact in the phase play that you would expect them to have. Um, Picamol was certainly um, trying to stand up, but was very much isolated and very much sort of two manned by the New Zealanders. I thought Goujon was excellent um, for the forwards, but I just felt that the French pack struggled to struggled to find any real rhythm. Um, and again, if we go back to the sort of incident in the second half where they passed up two scoring opportunities, the pack were very one-dimensional and very much just let's let's smash through, very confrontational, which I guess reflects the top fourteen in in, in many ways. Um, I thought Dupont was excellent, uh, really stood out within the team. He's a very aggressive sniping nine. I like that. I like a nine who can have a dart around the fringes. He's strong enough to break tackles. Um, but I also thought he had a really good service, and I think uh, I think he was certainly the best French player on the day, if not the best player on the pitch. Um, but I think he was really let down 
by the cohesion around him. And again, if we come back to the analysis I did at the weekend, I think that stands out in that he, as a guy who's only got one or two caps into his career, he's going to take easy options. He's going to take simple options rather than easy options. Um, easy makes it sound critical and like he wasn't performing. And I think uh, he needed other people to maybe say, OK, now we go wide or, or whatever, and let him know when other options were on. Um, but I think that's been maybe a little bit overly critical of the boy because I think you know he certainly was a fantastic, uh, fantastic performance on the night by the player. Um, I think it was quite a confusing performance from New Zealand. The first 20 minutes was immense... Um, but I think Hansen will be a little bit concerned by the second half. And I think it's something we've seen in in um, the last few games from New Zealand. Certainly from the British and Irish Lions. They start really fast, but they do seem to fade in the second half. Like, I guess it's all it's all relative. Fading for New Zealand is still quite intense for everybody else. But I know teams seem to be clawing their leads down as they fade. And, and I wonder what will happen when they meet a team that's able to keep pace with them for full 80 minutes. And I, and I do wonder whether this is a byproduct of Super Rugby where the, the pace of the game is almost unsustainable. Um, so coming into next week, France will play South Africa and New Zealand will play Scotland. And I'll do predictions a bit later, but I think they're going to be interesting games as it will show, certainly show Scotland where they are. And I think France um, will need to beat South Africa off the back of this game uh, if Noves is to see this uh, autumn international period as successful. Um, next game is Ireland versus South Africa, and uh, I mean two wildly contrasting uh, performances there. Um, Ireland fantastically controlled, disciplined from the start. South Africa seemed to be devoid of a game plan and any real structure to their to their game. Um, Possession stats, strangely, are in favour of South Africa. Um, but I think, again, that just illustrates how good Ireland were with the ball. Um, sort of 55% of territory was to South Africa, 54% of possession. Um, but they just didn't really seem to know what to do with that. Um, Ireland, on the other hand, with only 46% possession, were able to, like, to get over 100 metres more than uh, South Africa running wise, um, yeah. So it's it's that's got to be a massive concern for Kutsi going forward, um, for however long he's in charge. Um, for Ireland's ability to narrow the South African defence was incredible. They were able to punch in and around that ten twelve channel. We saw that with kind of um, Henshaw running in lines, Aki running in lines, um, and that allowed them to preserve that fifteen metres kind of wide. Um, which allowed Stockdale and, and Conway to kind of really open their legs and, uh, and attack, making you know Conway, Conway a run by Conway in the first half made 40, 40 meters on its own before he uh, before he met any kind of resistance, and that's purely a result of Ireland being able to narrow the attack so drastically. Um, South Africa has some massive issues under the high ball as well. Uh, Conway's try, a perfect example of that. Should never have happened. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what can you say? There seems to be a real deficit of, of core skills within the South African side at the moment. Um, and I think any coach who deals with 
that group of players is going to struggle to impose any kind of effective game plan because they just don't have the skills to uh, to implement and perform it. Um, defensively, South Africa were very very static. They allowed Ireland to kind of get over the game line, make a lot of lot of ground. I think a prime example is Henderson smashing Etzebeth, um, which just doesn't happen. You know, if a defence is flat-footed, he's static. Defence needs to come forward or at least be moving sideways and meet the man with some kind of momentum. If he's getting, if he's static like that, he's just getting run over, especially at this level of sport. Um, and this this ability to kind of knock South Africa down on the game line or get on the front foot, that allowed Ireland to kind of run their training ground moves. And again, Conway made a 40-metre run off of the classic Sexton loop. Henshaw comes to the line, he's unchallenged means he can get over the line, Sexton can run a flat around line without having to go back. Now, South Africa had come off the line and had met Henderson. The contact point would have been deeper. Sexton would have had to go back deeper to get on the loop. And that would have maybe taken the edge off of the uh, off of the move or certainly made it a lot, lot harder. Um, Stockdale's try was the best for me, just... Suck him in, move it wide, allow a powerful guy to go over in the corner. It's fantastic. It's just basic rugby, executed at pace. Um, I want to talk about Bundyaki really, really quickly. Because um, obviously in the lead up to the game, there was a lot of talk about his involvement in the Island squad and how inappropriate it was and things like that. Now, I don't want to comment on that. The rules are the rules and coaches make their own decisions. But... I thought his performance within the game was really interesting in in, a, in that context of uh, how heavily criticised he was. Um, now, it, it, it was a solid performance, if not exceptional. He obviously did some things fantastically well. Uh, the first hit on Ostasen was immense. Um, but I think that shows the mark of the man and the kind of player he is. Um, Ireland didn't need him to turn up and be an all-singing, all-dancing super centre. They needed solidity in in the centre. So it would be really easy for him, off the back of all the criticism, to turn up a bit bogged down in that mentally and then try and prove everyone wrong. But he didn't. He went out and, and he did everything that the team needed him. He did the basics first and he did nothing but the basics well. Um, and I think that really shows that he's there for the team rather than just there for himself. Um, and he certainly brought... Uh, a physical option to Sexton um, for Sexton to take and I think that was fantastic so I think it's a really really solid if uninspiring performance by Aki but I think that's exactly what he needed to do on his first performance and I think he'll have other days and other games in in that shirt where he'll stand up and and, and blow people away but I think it's a mark of the intelligence of the man and and why he's there um, as to how he played um, I also thought Peter O'Mahony was fantastic, um, and you, I know, you know, line out absolutely dominant. Um, you can see why the Lions made him captain. He absolutely led from the front, in, unbelievable warrior, um, and kind of off the back of this game, it's almost it feels almost a shame that we never got to see him in a Lions Test shirt again. Um, because it would have been interesting to see how he would have impacted on that wet second test, and in the uh, sort of the dying moments of the third test, when when the Lions probably needed somebody to take control up front and you know really kind of lead the charge. But 
hey, we'll, I guess we'll never know now. So where does South Africa go from here? Midfield is a massive issue. Um, I've, <laughs> I guess I've been carrying a bit of a grudge for De Londe for a few years now because I just don't think he's an inside centre. I think he could move to 13. But I think they need more intelligence at 12, certainly if they're going to play Yanti at 10. Um, and I would like to see Pollard developed as a 12. I think he's physical enough to play there. He doesn't need to be a big bruiser, as we've seen with uh, Owen Farrell. He just needs to be solid. And I think with some work on his defence, that could be a really good position for him. It's a great kicking option. He's a fantastic passer of the ball. He's also physical enough to come to the line when he needs to. Um, so whether or not we'll see him at 12 against France, I think is highly unlikely. I think he'll be on the bench again. Um, but yeah, with Kutzi's days probably marked, um, it'll be interesting to see if uh, South Africa are able to develop a kind of second playmaker role if they um, abandon Yanchis completely and bring Pollard back into 10. Um, I guess we're a few months away from kind of finding that out, but but I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic as to how the team develops that 10-12 axis. Um, so Ireland's next match is against Fiji. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll come to predictions, but I think that game kind of speaks for itself. Um, so yeah, good good performance by Ireland. Lacklustre performance by South Africa. Um, South Africa will really need to step up if they want to salvage anything from this um, from this tour Ireland um, will need to back up against Fiji the trick for Ireland now is to maintain consistency and not get kind of pulled into uh, a poor performance um, interesting though so if you if you want a bit more in-depth analysis on this game then go and check out the Free Red Kings podcast and his website um, there's a lot of really really fantastic uh, analysis in there so yeah that's where I'll leave it, and if you want more, definitely definitely check out his uh, his podcast. Uh, next game is England versus Argentina. Uh, I think Argentina are a lot more cohesive and structured than they were in the summer, post-rugby uh, championship, obviously. So they've had like three months together to kind of click. So I think anyone expecting a real blowout like in the summer, like a, a real end-to-end game like in the summer, um, was always going to be disappointed and I think people aren't really giving Argentina enough credit for how good a team they are when they come together. Um, again, statistically, they had they were dominant. Uh, 66% of possession, sorry, of territory, 62% of possession. Um, but then again, in contrast, with only 34% of the territory and 37% of the uh, possession, England were making 383 metres against 353 by Argentina. And I know these, these, these aren't... I, I know these are all in isolation, but I think it gives you a rough overview of the uh, of the game. Um, I think it was a typical first game together. Attack formations were quite flat, and uh, a lot of the team were working at different tempos. I think that transition from club test match at this stage is huge, because they haven't played... Although they've played Europe, they've had a week back in the Aviva Premiership. They've been out of the England camp. They've only, you know, they've only really had a week and a bit together, and it does have a that does have an impact. And the team isn't the England team isn't built up of units. Really, the only sort of club unit is the halfbacks, um, Youngs and, and Ford. Um, but you know, I think the intent was there. But we saw players were struggling to get into usual positions. And it worked a couple of times. The Hughes tries a perfect example of England's intent. Very nearly misfired. 
um, which I'll touch on in a second, like Ford's only option was that Hail Mary pass, um, but it worked. And, you know, that the intent is there. And, and I think with Owen Farrell coming back in, they'll be a lot better in the uh, backs, be a lot more depth about the attack. Um, Argentina, I think they made a big mistake playing Hernandez. I think uh, where he is at the moment, sort of, uh, performance-wise, he would have been better on the bench. I think Sanchez is a guy who can control the game, can hit his goals, and I think he would have uh, made England pay for a lot of their uh, for a lot of their errors. Um, yeah, so coming back to to England's attack pattern, it was very very flat, and um, even when it worked, it didn't really work. If that makes sense. So Hughes's tries is a really really good example of that. Um, the, the, the back line was so flat and um, Argentina shot up quickly to try and shut it down and, and Ford floats the pass over the top now it's fantastic that Ford saw the opportunity recognised it and took it but it should also have been a, an occasion where England could have moved, should have been able to move the ball comfortably into that outer channel without really finding the pressure that they did that, that forces Ford to make that up and over pass um, somebody in the back pocket, so somebody running straight, somebody in the pocket coming around the corner. That should have fixed and stopped any defenders sort of having a real impact shooting out the line. And I think that was kind of the story throughout the... Um, I think that was the story throughout the uh, the game. They just couldn't quite get that level of depth they needed. And we saw for, uh, Slade trying to force it a little bit in, in the second half of the game and things like that. So and I think the frustration showed. Um, I think Eddie Jones will just be happy to get the win, to be honest. I know there's a lot of kind of public wailing and moaning, but I think secretly he'll just be happy to have got the win and to be able to build on, have something to analyse and then build on. And I think that's really key. Um, So I think we'll see a very different performance this week because I think uh, this England coaching team is very, very good at their analysis and I don't think they'll accept a similar performance. Um, I also think defensively they'll need to make a massive step up. Um, I think they're a little bit flat-footed, uh, lots of big hits, but those big hits were on the gain line and I didn't think they were getting up and into uh, Argentina's space nearly uh, nearly enough. Um, so I think ahead of Australia, there'll be three key points. I think they need to find ways through the Australian fringe defence. I don't think they can allow their ball to be slowed down like it did last week. Maybe some pick and goes, um, some a little bit more kind of tip on, tip on passing. I think the defence will have to be a lot more aggressive. Defence was a big thing last week, but it, again, like I said, it was on the gain line. You know, Underhill's hitting alongside Ford, and whilst they're great hits. You know, they're on the game line. They've conceded a little bit of ground. So, uh, you know, the, the Argentinian players should never be in that position. So with Farrell coming back in at 12, I think they'll keep Joseph and not Slade. And I think defensively, just, you know, we'll, we'll see a better performance. Um, and I think uh, we'll see a Toje Farrell and Underhill leading the defence if they're on the pitch. So let's jump on to Wales versus Australia. Um, well, what a game. Uh didn't think Australia even played that well, to be real, to be really honest. I think they just took their their chances, um, chances that were given to them by a really poor Welsh defence. And um, I know that might kind of, I know I know that might raise some eyebrows, but I I I think Owen 
Williams in the uh, in the midfield. I think he's a, a wonderful, creative player. But I think defensively, that line, that defensive unit, did not get off the line, and I think that allowed Australia to play. Um, I think there's a massive lack of control from from Wales. I don't think they respected the game or really earned the right to play with the width they were trying to. And I think a prime example is that Crossfield kick off the penalty. Um, like, why do it? Uh, so, yeah, fine, OK, they kick, kick Crossfield, it's regarded, and then they play through a bunch of phases. But then they ended up kicking anyway. So why expend all of that energy, all of that frankness, risk losing the ball, to then give the ball away anyway with a, with a kick to the corner? It just, it's just... You want players to express themselves and you want players to uh, to play within their capabilities. But for me, that, that that lack of game management is what what cost Wales any chance of being in that game. And in fairness, they wouldn't, they never looked like winning that game. Um, Defence again, so flat, so static. I just there was no, just no line speed. Um, I still don't like this Australian back line. <laughs> It feels too heavy, and I'd still like to see Bill move up to 12, uh, despite playing very well at 15, I have to say. Um, but I just don't understand why you play somebody at 12, uh, sorry, at 15, and then ask him to come forward and play as a 12 anyway. Um, I think you lose, whilst you might gain distributing um, skills, I think you lose strike running, and, and I think that's really important important I think you need to have options to bust the line wide and by Bill coming into 12 you lose that you end up with Hodge and Caravini having to do all the, all the work um, the best try for me in that whole game was the uh, Coleman try it's just a brilliant decision by Genia uh, and it just highlights how appalling the, <laughs> the Welsh defence was for me on the day um, I think the Australian pack is coming together nicely and I think England need to be really worried about them this week. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, lot of physicality. It's going to be quite confrontational. I think Australia will be coming here with a view to amending the problems they had last year. Um, they completely outplayed the Welsh back row, I think. I know people said Navidi played well. Talupi Falatau had a, you know, probably a game he'll never play again in, in the Welsh shirt. Um, yeah, he was endeavorous, but to make those kind of handling errors, it's just not what you expect from him. Um, on the flip side, Hannigan, Hooper and McMahon were just, yeah, fantastic. I, I felt, I felt they did really, really well. So Wales versus Georgia is going to be an interesting game. Um, they'll need to really step it up in the pack, but I think the backs with decent ball will be just too good. And um, I think Australia moving on to England very confident. You know, they won without really trying, and I think even though England will get much better, it's going to be a really, really interesting game to watch so um, final game is Scotland versus Samar and I think it was a, a really wonderful game I uh, don't think they should ever have been in the position to allow Samoa to get back into the game quite the way they did um, but with, you know, especially with a player like Nanai Williams you know, 10 his first start he's not a 10 normally he plays back three um, Samoa had like the, the, the bulk of the possession and territory um, but you know, like uh, clean breaks for five, 18 defenders beaten by um, Scotland, 10 offloads. So, you know, it's OK. Uh, um, the set piece was solid as well. But I think uh, I think to allow Samoa to get back into that game is, is, is a worry. And it's something we've seen Glasgow 
do under um, Gregor Townsend as well. Um, I think their attack pattern uh, is really interesting. It takes the ball right to the defensive edge. They're right on the edge of the pitch, like to the point where they actually go into touch sometimes. Uh, the wingers really, really hug the touch line. They use punch groups in the middle and they go wide really early, having punched once or twice. I think they show good defensive line speed, but they seem kind of incapable of dealing with those little tip-on passes because we saw Samoa really bust the line on a few occasions using just that one-out pass from uh, the first receiving forward. Um, hell of a lot of kicking from Scotland. Um, certainly a tactic they were trying to, to use. It worked on a couple of occasions, the hog try and then the hog no try. Um, but I think they did it too much and it kind of became a bit predictable. Like Russell kicked... 14 kicks from from out of, so the whole team had 24 kicks in total and, and Russell kicked 14 of them uh, and, and yeah you know by far the biggest kicker in the team and they certainly need to work on their ruck defence they got opened up there a few times um, yeah and I think that will be a work on for them this week I think the back three in Scotland are potentially the best strike runners in the home nations right now. Um, certainly Wales guys like Williams and England have Watson, but as a unit, that 13, 14, 15, uh, 30, so 11, 13, 14, 15 collective is, is just uh, almost unmatched at the moment um, at the national level. Um, yeah, I think they're a, a fantastic unit and, you know, like Hogg, Hogg has no right to score some of the tries he does. Jones has no right to score some of the tries he does. Um, but their ability to just get on the outside of the man or get in the right place at the right moment is, is exceptional. Um, so, yeah, so Jones at 13, Jones on the wing, Seymour and Hogg, it's a fantastic unit. Um, and it's nice to see Scotland making the most of that. Um I think it's going to be tough for them against New Zealand. Their intensity needs to go up um, a, a huge amount. Whether or not they can do that, I don't know. Um, with Samoa, I can't help but feel this is their one chance of a win. With everything that's been going on politically, they they must be mentally drained. Um, and I think by the end of the tour, if they're not now by the end of the tour, they're, they're, they're going to really suffer. And I think when they meet England, they could be on the end of a a bit of a pasting and I think that would be really sad because they deserve so much more um, and I guess we hope we all hope that World Rugby can get involved and, and sort out the problems that we're seeing um, in Samoan rugby regardless of where the uh, where the blame the blame lays um, so yeah that's pretty much it uh, so I'll quickly go through the predictions for this weekend I hate doing them because on games always going to prove you wrong at least but I think France will beat South Africa, um, just. I think New Zealand will beat Scotland by maybe 10 points. Ireland have to beat Fiji. Um, they'll beat them comfortably, but I don't think they'll smash them. I think Wales will beat Georgia by a couple of scores. And the England game is a really interesting one. I think England, England Australia is almost too close to call. Um, my head is saying England will win it just because of Jones and the, the coaching team. But I think whoever wins it is only going to win it by like two or three points. Um, yeah, but I think it'll be interesting. I'll, I'll probably completely 100% wrong on all of these. It'll probably be a whitewash of, uh, of all the sort of uh, 
Six Nations teams, but um, yeah, I mean, that's the risk you run when you make a prediction. Um, that's the end of the end of this. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Um, sorry about all the noise in the background. Um, you may not be aware that I, I've, I've had a serious injury and uh, I've had to have an operation on my back, so I'm now recovering. Um, and I'm actually recording this in my in my bed um, whilst I'm on bed rest, recovering from a surgery on my back. So um, I'll pick up again next week if I can. Uh, I think it'll be a great weekend of rugby. And, uh, and I'll see you next week. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye.